and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Scott Nye. I'm David Bax. Thank you for listening. David, how yeah. are we doing? It's December. It's almost Christmas. Getting in the spirit. Oh, I love it. Yeah, I, I do love this time of year. I mean, honestly, I'm actually like swamped with work and um, that has bled over my personal life. Listeners of this podcast and the one where I met your mother have noticed a sort of some erratic posting, like not on the episodes, not posting on the usual days and stuff like that. It's just like, I, I, I haven't had a, there's always a little bit of a pre-holiday rush in my job, but I haven't had a pre-holiday rush like this in years. Did but, you um, guys uh, experience any layoffs as a result of the strikes over the summer? Cause I I've been hearing like that sentiment from a lot of people around town. Those of you, you know, still fortunate enough to be gainfully employed, but just yeah. that everyone's feeling a little bit extra overworked this year. Um, I don't think it has to do with the strike actually. Um, I mean, maybe like in a roundabout way I'm rushed because like, yeah, I think maybe movies that were supposed to come out later got pushed up in the schedule just by virtue of being done and being releasable sure. while other stuff has to finish shooting or, or finish editing and finish reshoots or whatever they're doing. So I wonder if maybe part of my rush is because uh, a movie I should have had until the spring on is suddenly um, coming out, you know, in theaters or wherever it's going to come out Yeah, uh, in, in like mid January. And of course, you know, this town, I was going to say this town like mostly shuts down for two weeks at the end of December. Actually, it's a weird thing about the movie industry is that like there's a whole lot of like summer Fridays and big like, yeah, the the the, the town's quiet during uh, the holidays, but everyone's actually still working. They're just not at the office or officially working. Um I've said before that like a big part of like the Los Angeles lifestyle, especially the like industry related Los Angeles lifestyle is like hustling super hard while trying to look like you're enjoying the, <laughs> your measure time and the pleasure of like, like I do think that's kind of like a, it's a mix of like the, Hey, we're in Southern California. Things are right. chill, but also like the movie industry and the entertainment industry thinking it's the most important thing in the world. Uh, and those two things come up against each other where there's anyway, I'm way off on a, on a tangent. What I'm saying is like, we all have to pretend that the industry is going to be quiet for two weeks at the end of December, even though it's not, we're just going to be answering emails in our pajamas and stuff. Anyway, well, and we all got used to that during COVID anyway. Uh, this is, I don't even remember how we got talking about this. I think you just launched into it kind of. And I was like, how's that? Uh, yeah. Anyway. Um, so yeah, I'm very busy at, at work, but I do love this time of year. That's why that's how it started is that you said, uh, it's near Christmas. Yeah. I love this time of year. Um, and yeah, one of the things that, you know, often comes up this time of year is it's, it's often referred to as, as giving season. I've heard or, that. Uh, as my wife likes to say, uh, it's giving season. Um, <laughs> cause she watches a lot of drag race. Um, and, uh, uh, I was, so I wanted to let the listeners know, maybe if they haven't seen on Tyler's Facebook or my Twitter or the battleship retention.com homepage that, um, we like, we, by me, meaning 
friends of Smith and those who love him are very appreciative of um, how successful the initial going was. Um, but Tyler's condition continued. You know, it's certainly things not as bad as they were, you know, uh, 15 months ago or whatever, but um, they're still very bad and med- medical care in this country is very difficult um, and expensive. So there's another GoFundMe. And uh, right now you can go, um, that to me should be pinned to the top of the homepage. Right now it's just at the top of the homepage because I just posted it. Um, oh, to a, a, a new uh, video that goes into more detail about Tyler's situation, including some images of Tyler that you know a lot of people haven't seen over the last 15 months. Um, some testimony from Tyler and his wife about what's going on. And also, uh, what I really appreciate is that Jenny provides a clear breakdown of exactly where the money for the in the GoFundMe is going to go. They're asking for a specific amount, and in the video, she says it will go to these three things and these three dollar amounts and um that's always really helpful to uh to know to understand it probably and it, and it helps to to make it feel more um like you're not just throwing money at a problem like you're you're just part of, you're part of a solution so please uh do go and check out that that video like i said it, it'll be pinned to the top of the homepage at battleship retention um for the foreseeable future um and um yeah anything anything you can you can give um helps uh and prepare yourself the the video is um uh which i think friend of the show e- jason egan made um yeah is, uh um it's powerful stuff it's it's uh it even even as someone who sees tyler for you know hours every week uh there's some stuff that's said in there that it's like i had to ma- i had managed to sort of put at the back of my mind that right. that i had to kind of face again that uh uh yeah rough rough stuff but it's um there's a solution at the end which is um give tyler your money (laughs) (laughs) um speaking of money um i would recommend once you've donated tyler's gofundme spending some of your uh hard-earned money over at tweakedaudio.com um, tweakedaudio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great. They sound great. I use them each and every day of my life. Today, I was listening to a very beautiful um, uh, work of, of music by uh, an artist named Austra, A-U-S-T-R-A. Um, and it is the score to a new documentary called Swan Song, which means... Yes, there have been three movies <laughs> released in the U.S. called Swan Song in the past two years. <laughs> That's too many. We need to put a stop to this. I know. Yes, I um, I said as much on 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 Blue Sky, um, but uh, yeah. So maybe don't call your movies Swan Song anymore. But um, do listen to the Swan Song uh, score by Ostra because it's very beautiful. Um, and uh, some are great at my tweakedaudio.com earbuds. They're available at a low, low price at tweakedaudio.com, but if you use the offer code pretension at checkout, you get one third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So please go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension. 
Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Scott? Hello. It's it's uh it's award season, it's Oscar season. The awards have really kicked in. If you want to hear we you and I um probably in for the January Patreon, we'll do another episode sort of updating uh, oh, for sure. on the fantasy awards uh draft, which will be fun because you'll be able to see opposite sides of the experience. <laughs> Scott is absolutely running away with it, and I am uh, as usual but um we're not here to talk about that you'll you can do that at the patreon patreon.com slash battleship pretension uh do that there'll also be uh, actually in coming weeks there'll be some more um news another new perk about joining the patreon um that that scott just suggested so uh stay tuned for more news about that or just go ahead and preemptively get ahead of, ahead of the rush and join at patreon.com slash battleship pretension that's another way you can help tyler actually because uh, some of that money goes to him Anyway, that's not the point. This isn't an ad. Just did an ad. Uh, we're here to talk, or at this time of year, we are talking about Oscar movies. But uh, with things over the past five or six years from everything everywhere all at once, having you know uh, a, a Best Picture winner that has multiple butt plug jokes, to The Shape of Water, a Best Picture winner about a um, human woman who fucks a fish monster who also eats cat's heads. Um, there has been discussion about what even is an Oscar movie anymore. Uh, what what feels like it's destined for for that um, oh, for that destiny? No, for that uh, uh, fate. Uh, Scott, this is your idea. I've talked too much. Um, why don't you, you, let's get into it, shall we? Why don't you talk about, uh, the impetus of this, this topic? Yeah. I mean, it really came from watching poor things, uh, the other week and yeah, just marveling at the fact that a movie that aggressively sexual and super, and in many ways, super weird. Interestingly, the like emotional arc of that film is actually kind of like, digestible and fairly mainstream it's just the way it goes about it is so you would think of it as being very off-putting but it is like considered a big oscar player this year and i was like something something feels like it has changed but then i started to wonder and this is where the topic may complicate itself one way or the other but i started to wonder if the idea that there is an oscar movie is just constantly being challenged and flummoxed and upended and like looking over the history of best picture winners, it seems like it does kind of go in waves of kind of more predictable stuff. You know, what you think of big sweeping epics or romance pictures or some kind of like, yeah, historically or socially grounded um, piece of filmmaking to then, you know, maybe not such like overt explicit stuff, but something a little bit more strange for the time in the context of the time and a little bit more incisive and um, a little bit more unexpected. And so it just made me wonder if um, 
A, if it, if I'm wrong and there is just a genuine change happening right now, or B, if this kind of thing just happens cyclically every couple generations and I'm now becoming old and out of touch for feeling like it's, <laughs> it's changing right, right now. Um, I have two. I do think that there has been a change and, and there's an ongoing change. There's a couple of them. I have two things to dissect okay. two opinions one of them not my own one of them my own i'll okay. start with the one that someone else observed um last year when there was talk or i guess early this year uh when there was talk about like how everything everywhere all at once was in some ways so strange for an oscar movie and it's like genre hopping and it's sometimes soft often sophomoric uh too often for me sophomoric comedy um and, and stuff like that and i and i wish i could this is the problem with twitter scrolling twitter all the time is you forget who said yeah that. um so i wish i could remember who said this but someone made the point that perhaps something like everything everywhere all at once actually is an oscar movie now not because of its uh perceived sophistication or high-mindedness or whatever but because increasingly people are voting for movies that they think represent a moral good and that um, everything ever all at once is an Oscar, an Oscar movie for the new Academy where voting is uh, a stamp of approval of virtue. Um, you, you, you don't think that's been there like throughout the history of the Academy? I think it's, I think it's increased now because um a the academy membership numbers have exploded and they have exploded for reasons having to do with this for like they uh, the academy intentionally sought out to sought to uh diversify in many ways the membership uh which i think is a great idea but i'm wondering if now those members feel like they have an, a, a a duty in some way to say like okay this academy has a uh, has made a statement has a mission statement that it is made by adding all of these people. We'd better live up to that. So maybe there is increased pressure to, uh, to, to shine a light on movies that are again, a moral good, or at least are seen as being a moral good by people who are out of touch, you know, see green book. Um, anyway, like I said, that wasn't my observation, but, um, I do, I, I, I do see an, uh, an increase in discussion of, I, I mean, again, this is a Twitter thing that I can't necessarily place, but I feel like you, I saw you retweeted something about the idea of, um, we have like, we are so our only role in society or our major role in society is to yeah. be consumers now. And so, consuming is activism because it's the only way to make a political statement or it's the only way that many people feel that they are able to make a political political statement so like so that observation from back in the the first observation from back when everything everywhere all at once won and then the the recent one that i think you retweeted from from someone um again neither one of those are my ideas but i i do um think it maybe plays into why things are one of the reasons why things are changing so that's that's that one. I don't know if you have more to add to that. No, I just, I, I do think kind of just looking through the history of Oscars that there, 
has always been a tendency towards an idea of serving like a sort of social justice angle. I mean, you can look at like what won during World War II, you know, Mrs. Miniver and Casablanca wins. Um, the best years of our lives win as, as soon as the war is over. Um, and then like getting into the 50s and especially the 60s, you get films like uh, West Side Story or um, right. Man for All Seasons in the Heat of the Night, Midnight Cowboy, certainly by the end of the 60s. I think there's always been a sense that like the movies have to reflect some kind of social good and the Oscars are the best way to spotlight the ways in which they do uh, reflect that. And I don't know. I think, there, I mean, I don't think they were used in terms like social justice warrior back in world war two, but like, right. I think that's a lot of how, especially early on the movie industry was trying to establish its bona fides by saying, you know, we're tackling socially important films and we're awarding them as the best pictures of their year. Um, the shows that were a thoughtful engaged industry and, you know, please don't regulate us again. Right. Right. Okay. Um, well, let me move on then to my own idea of why things are changing, not necessarily in, in best picture winners, but in to bring it back to the topic at hand, what is becoming an Oscar movie? Sure. Or, or just an awards movie in general. And here's what I, I, I wish I had written this out first, so I could organize my thoughts better, but we have talked about the waning cultural influence of movies. Yeah. Um, and going back even further than that, Tyler and I have talked about, uh, the, the, the vanishing of the movie star, but I think awards and the, the people who pay attention to awards, the people who vote on awards, the people who give out awards is one place where there are still stars because there are categories and I, actors are celebrated. And I think in the same way that we've seen, um, I think I can't remember if it was you or I or Tyler and I talking about um, how like critics from major uh, organizations major papers like the New York times in recent years, their own top 10 lists of the year have become seemingly more like esoteric sure. and, and stuff. And part of that is because like, uh, because it's less of a populist art form or, uh, there's less pressure to highlight those kind of movies. And I think on the same, uh, uh, page is that actors, the movies that actors are able to get made, uh, uh, that's not the way I wanted to say it, but I guess what I'm saying is in decades past in Emma Stone, you know, might have been making her Aaron Brockovich or whatever. And that would be her Oscar movie, mm. but there's less, uh, room for those kind of movies anymore. The, 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 the public isn't going to those movies. And so the, uh, artist, they basically gets to prove their metal and prove their worth by picking or, or idiosyncratic art projects like, like poor things. Um, I wonder if that's, that's part of it, that these are the movies that these are the only movies that really depend on 
uh, maybe not in their success as movies, but in their marketing still depends somewhat on stars and increasingly stars like critics, critics for the New York times, um, don't feel any pressure to make big crowd pleasing movies. Um, they're the, the thing they find their worth in is, uh, and I, I feel like I'm making it all very like uh, transactional. Like Emma Stone's also an artist who maybe maybe wants to just make artistic movies, and it's not just about uh, proving her worth or 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 her you know stroking her ego or anything like that. Why am I picking on Emma Stone, whom I love? By the way? <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, I guess now that I'm saying this out loud, I'm, re- I'm remembering during the writer strike, reading um, a something that was from a person whose side I wasn't on, like an executive, an executive. Sure. Uh, but complaining about writers and talking about how, like there are fewer and fewer writers coming to Hollywood who want to work on two and a half men, even like a two and a half men type show, even though those shows historically have like paid well and been good jobs and watched by millions and millions of people. Um, and the quote that I remember from the article was uh, every writer, maybe this is actually an agent, not a producer. Either way, he was like, every writer who comes out here wants to make Barry. And you know who watches Barry? Fucking nobody. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, uh, yeah, I wonder if a- as the entertainment industry has become less of the top line cultural force, if 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 uh, the uh, validation is the validation isn't found in the audience. Maybe the validation is found in the uh, more critically acclaimed movies. Sorry, I've yeah, been talking the, for way too long. Those were a combination of very interesting thoughts that I hadn't considered before, especially, yeah, as far as like what a star does with like their juice, as it were. And I, I mean, I've, I've tweeted a lot about this many times, but I recently, because she has a new movie out, but I really feel like Natalie Portman, you know, used her decade after winning the Oscar about as well as anyone could in terms of getting like the weirdest stuff done solely because she was a very bankable star at that moment. Um, and yeah, but so that might point to, I mean, it might point to a few different things. Like one side of it is that the industry isn't as geared towards like trying to continue to prop up stars through vehicles that might serve them as at least nominal artists so like um trying to think of a example well i mean kate winslet's a good example of this so like kate winslet's career explodes after titanic and then she does a ton of films over the next decade that ultimately lead to her finally winning an oscar but like some of them are interesting kind of artsy films like eternal sunshine um, but most of them are like kind of in the vein of, you know, if not explicitly Titanic, the movies like Titanic, um, because there's still an industry to fuel in there. And it does seem like, yeah, the bottom kind of fell out of those types of movies sometime in the past 10 years. And so I, I they just don't, I'm not sure they're the kind of films that like she was packaging, you know, it, it seems like the kind of things that probably studios were packaging and they came to her with um whereas now things are packaged more on a much lower level like by an artistically geared producer or by a director um or maybe by a star who like actor with their own production company yeah yeah totally um so 
it might be a shift away from yeah a producer or distributor centric production model and more like any artist who can push something through the kind of hodgepodge you know we're all used to seeing like half dozen production company cards before any movie worth its salt these days but like um the weird hodgepodge of film financing these days is does depend more on an artist's initiative in order to see it through and they they might not want to chase you know a Jane Goodall biopic or just want <laughs> someone out of thin air who Emma Stone might conceivably play in another timeline. Um, but I mean, uh, but real quick about about yeah. uh, Kate Winslet. Um, an aside, uh, I don't know if you ever watched Ricky Gervais's extras that show. With I, the, I've uh, seen the clip that you're going to reference, but you should for the audience's sake. Yeah, Kate Winslet plays herself. Every every episode, there'd be some famous person who played themselves, and uh, Kate Winslet plays herself um, in starring in a like a Holocaust movie, and basically admitting she's doing it because she wants to get an Oscar. And then, like three years later, she won an Oscar for being in a Holocaust movie. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, where and well, you know, wouldn't you know it? This year, one of the big. Uh, Oscar contenders is in fact a Holocaust drama. So yeah. there you go. Um, but yeah, it's uh, so I'm trying to think of like what the other big Oscar contenders are this year that kind of like help fill out this portrait of things. So we, I mentioned zone of interest. I'm going to pull up the spreadsheet from all of our picks. Um, you know, I think there are some that are more in the traditional model, like killers of the flower moon or the holdovers, certainly. Um, but then certainly, well, Oppenheimer too um, is like a big, important historical yeah. film tackling a big, important historical period. But then like the fact that Barbie is kind of pushed this far pretty much sheerly because audiences love it so much. Um, I think even the space for something like that is somewhat new and refreshing. Um, you know, I, I, to a degree, everything everywhere kind of, was pushed through the same way, not on the same scale, but like that was a movie that people went to go see and went to go see in some cases several times. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's commercial success helped, but I can't think of the last time that like an out and out blockbuster, the way that Barbie was, um, has had its awards success or potential success driven solely because so many people went to go see it. You know, I'm trying to think. Yeah. District nine. Yeah, maybe. But even then, like Barbie's like, what, the number one movie of the year? Probably. Right. I can't think of another film that would I, have eclipsed it. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I think like for that, I, it's hard to even think of like the last time that that those circumstances would have emerged, because usually like if you think of like Avatar that came out towards the end of the year, so it was already kind of like an Oscar thing. Mm-hmm. By the time it became a big success, I obviously I think if that film had failed at the box office, I don't think it would have like resonated much as an awards thing. Um, Titanic is kind of in the same mold. Um, yeah, I can't think I'm trying to scroll through the past, like 15 or so years of Oscar stuff. And for, well, I mean, I guess maybe it just this points to how rare it is to have a film as interesting as Barbie be success, that successful, be the number one film of the year. Um, it's been so long since even that's happened that it feels like, it came from an audience place and not like almost a sense of obligation, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, Cause for so long, the number one movie each year has been a big animated movie or a big superhero movie, just like yeah. something that everyone had to take their kids to, 
um, not something that like, you know, I, there's a lot of kids who went to go see Barbie, but it's audience isn't necessarily young in the same way that those movies are. And I think yeah. that like the Oscars are able to respond to that a little bit more openly than they would. Um, like when Avengers Endgame came out, there was a lot of chatter around like, well, it's capping off 10 years of Marvel. It, a lot of people love it. It's obviously a huge success. Will that be an Oscar contender? And like pretty quickly, the awards system shut that down. I was like, no, there's no way that's going to happen. Um, but uh, something like I Barbie. Just because I, I like uh, the people that that makes mad. I just like that, that they're mad about it. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, but something like Barbie does have space. And I think, I think everyone recognizes that that's good for everyone. You know, it, it is good to have movies that make a lot of money that people genuinely love get awards traction. It kind of helps the whole infrastructure. Um, yeah. And it's weird. We're saying this about Barbie, which is like a piece of IP, you know, it is, um, but I, you know, the first thing I said when I, uh, left the movie and the kind of the first th tweet, the thing I tweeted out about is that it feels like, they're they've already made the weird sequel to the more successful movie you know it's like right, they already yeah. ran with the creative license that they didn't have yeah. um and i think it's a piece of ip that people were resistant to i don't think there is a hunger out there or an anticipation that it could be a good movie i uh this is this is proof that i am uh that, that i'm not ego driven i was as skeptical as they come I remember and more ego, a more ego driven person would have like been contrarian just to like, not look stupid, but I was willing, I would, I loved the movie so much that I was like, I'll happily like, you know, eat crow on this. Um, but the last time the highest grossing movie of the year in America wasn't a piece of IP was American sniper. Uh, yeah, that yeah. did come to mind. Um, but again, it's like it's a, it's a December release. It's already in the award system before right. Um, right, right, right. It, it became the number one movie. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so uh, it's interesting. Yeah, you were talking about... I hadn't thought about this until you started going through. Like Most of the movies this year that fall into like awards movies actually do kind of seem like there's a lot of biopics Oppenheimer maestro. Um, I feel like there were others. I mean, zone of interest is based on a real guy, but it's not, I would yeah, call it a biopic. Not um, really in that mold, but yeah, killers of the flower moon based on a true story. Um, Priscilla, though that doesn't seem to be, uh, as much on the awards. Uh, yeah. Uh, radar as I would have liked because I really like Priscilla. Um, but there, those are also all like everything I just mentioned is also very like auteur driven as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, they all started with their directors rather than yeah. it being like a studio thing that was going to happen anyway. And they found the right person for the job kind of thing. So yeah, I guess what I'm saying is like I I don't know if a movie like Gandhi will ever win Best Picture again. You yeah, know, a, a journeyman directed uh, biopic. Yeah, what's the last trend? Well, Green Book's kind of a journeyman picture. Yeah, um, yeah. anyone could have directed that. I, I would kind of say the same thing of Coda, although like 
even coda which i don't care for and which fits into like the very traditional oscar mold of being an uplifting movie about family and all that kind of stuff um even that i mean it's notable for being the first film to premiere at sundance to go on to win best picture this like pipeline that we talk about every year and have talked about for you know at least as long as i've been following movies as like a potential inevitability it it had never happened before coda and that's kind of why i dismissed the predictions that it would win best picture because i was like we do this every goddamn year every year something premieres at sundance people are like oscar it's happening and it never does um so even that was kind of like a breaking of the mold in its own way yeah but i mean I, I guess I mean th- that was such a weird year because that was virtual Sundance because of COVID, right? Um, but like, were were people in January of twenty twenty one saying Coda was going to win Best Picture? Oh, for sure. Because um, I because I I watched it then and I had no like <laughs> I I enjoyed it just fine. It was like that's a sweet picture that's going to be good for families and stuff like that. It's got some funny stuff in it, uh, some good performances. I liked Coda just fine. But like, if you had told me it was going to win best picture, I would have been scared. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, my, my great shameful tweet that I always hope that no one will rediscover is that um, I think like in like May or June of that year, somebody was like, uh, Coda's, it was maybe around the time that Coda was coming out, which I think was that, like that August. They were like, said it in January, saying it again, Coda's going to win Best Picture. And I like replied to them, being like, no way. Here's why, you know, this happens every year with Sundance. No one ever goes on to win. Not going to happen. Um, so I, I can say. You haven't deleted that tweet. I wouldn't even know how to find it. Uh, <laughs> it was a reply to somebody. Uh, so yeah. Uh, Okay. Um, uh, that was that was my point. Was that, that uh, even the Oscar quote unquote Oscar bait uh, these days is still auteur driven or idiosyncratic or whatever you want to call it? Yeah, um, I think the other thing on my end is like in some ways. I, so I was watching uh, for the first time a few weeks ago. I went to the Academy Museum to see Master and Commander: The Far Side of the World which when it came out, I didn't bother with and totally dismissed as like typical claptrap Oscar bait. Um, and watching it now, I, I didn't quite find it to be like the masterpiece that I think a lot of people have come around to feeling it is, but it is like the kind of movie, you know, as they say, they just don't make anymore. That's like not like breaking any new ground by any means, but is delivering something at a pretty massive scale in a very dependably solid and um, compelling way that was only financed because it would have chances at the Academy Awards that would boost its box office. Um, and in some ways, like it seems weird to say, but in some ways I do kind of miss that mold of things that like producer driven, um, we're going to make this picture no matter what, because we think it'll hit. And yeah. I guess it's like a sense of like showmanship almost that, um, is does feel like absent from the screens of like that mold of a producer that doesn't seem to exist anymore that just wants to get something going because they know it'll be a hit yeah um and Um, you know the oscar system was kind of there to support that i think that's kind of like where people think of the traditional oscar movies coming from as being a part of that ecosystem so what are those producers doing now I just don't think they exist. I think like 
there's a lot of very smart independent producers who are getting films like poor things financed um and are you know either on kind of a permanent team with certain directors or have people they bounce around with um or you have production houses that sort of specialize in certain kind of film like a24 or um participant media is one that kind of like still kind of bolsters a degree of like dependably social justice um usually fairly workmanlike but occasionally very artistically enlightening mm-hmm. films um and i still think there are avenues through which that happens i just think that most of the people who like I think the motivations for getting into like the big scale producing game in films has changed. I think there did used to be an element of like ego about getting something to the Oscars while running a major studio. And now the motivations for someone to run a major studio are just so different than they were. Yeah. The studios are run by people who don't care about movies. Right. Um, Which I mean, I've worked in the movie industry for, close to god close to 20 years i guess technically if you go all the way back to my pa days um and the number of people who work in movies who don't care about movies uh i'm used to it now but it was shocking to me at first um real quick uh yeah march 14th 2021 in response to a sense deleted tweet so i don't know what this person said but Scott, Scott, you replied, I haven't seen Coda, but no movie has ever premiered at Sundance and won Best Picture, and I don't think that's about to change. And then you say, also, this time next year, the Oscars will be over. Um, Which, I don't, I guess that's in response to something he said. It must have been, yeah. This time uh, next year. And then, also... Well, thanks for unearthing my shame. Yeah, January 17, 2022, you said, can't remember who, but someone last summer guaranteed me that Coda would win Best Picture, and I wonder what he's <laughs> up to. Maybe reading this tweet. <laughs> yep. Just continuing to dig my my grave as an Oscar pundit that will never, a career that will never flourish. <laughs> I mean, you are better than I am, as 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 evidenced by our uh, fantasy award season every year. I am I am terrible. I really don't know what people like or why they like it. Well, I think that's like kind of what we're discussing here is that like increasingly nobody does like I don't think any of us even by the end of the Oscar season ended up having everything everywhere as a best picture contender. Um, right. I don't even think people were trading for it because it just seemed increasing like at every stage it was like, well, that's probably as far as it's going to get kind of thing. Um, right. It's like Donald Trump in 2016 (laughs) everything everywhere is the donald trump of uh oscar movies absolutely yeah yeah Yeah, it's it's fans will love me uh to hear me say that Um, yeah for sure yeah uh sorry listeners for um uh technical purposes we don't have our video on on the zoom which i'm realizing i rely on a lot for cues (laughs) So that's oh, see, I always have like a multitude of windows over this, uh, over the zoom screen. Oh, really? So I'm, all, so... I'm very rarely looking at you. Oh, okay. So I'm, uh, yeah, I, I guess that's why there's occasionally, uh, awkward silences. Cause I'm not sure, uh, where we are in the conversation. <laughs> no, that's all right. Uh, um, yeah. Um, so no, I was just kind of musing like as a way of looking forward with like the success of Oppenheimer and, you know, to a degree killers of the flower moon, you know, it wasn't 
nearly the box office hit that Oppenheimer was. And there's been debate about whether it even matters as a box office movie because so much of it was bankrolled by Apple. But there has been a lot of conversation this year about whether the like mythical mid to big budget adult drama could have a comeback um, that kind of fills this like classically Oscar space. And that will be interesting to see is if we're going to then swing back. Cause you know, I, I mentioned at the top of the show, it does feel like this is something that happens routinely of like, you know, the sixties were like barren as far as really invigorating Oscar contenders um, that were like really challenging the system. It was mostly like big budget musicals, um, you know, films like a man for all seasons mm-hmm. or that kind of thing. And then like, uh, in the heat of the night, you know, it's kind of famously like the, uh, agreed upon, um, what do I want to say? Like a uh, compromise pick kind of, that's like kind of existing between the more like bold and daring Bonnie and Clyde and the more like traditional guess who's coming to dinner, let alone a Dr. Doolittle. And then like midnight cowboy, like totally blows up that whole system. And then like Patton and the French connection winning the next two years, just keeps reasserting that. And you really go through the whole decade until, Maybe you could say Rocky is like a traditional kind of Oscar movie. Um, and but then like the Deer Hunter and Kramer versus Kramer in many ways really aren't. But then in the 80s, it kind of comes back around and you get like the old standbys of like family drama with ordinary people, um, historical epics with Chariots of Fire and Gandhi, mm-hmm. big family romance, Terms of Endearment, then Amadeus out of Africa. And then all that kind of stuff. And then it really takes until Silence of the Lambs in the 90s to kind of break that system again and get to something a little stranger. And, you know, even if you look at the next few years and they seem kind of like Oscar movies in retrospect, but films like Unforgiven, um, even Schindler's List, which is like a, a pretty harrowing experience and like not doesn't really have you know it kind of has like maybe the barest hint of uplift at the very end but not really a lot of outlet there um and forrest gump like i don't really like forrest gump but it's a weird movie um I, and we, we could do a whole sidebar about my love hate relationship with robert zemeckis sure um yeah. because he is a weirdo but i also think he always I think often to his movie's detriment has one eye on what he thinks the audience wants. Um, and that is often what like uh, sours me on, on his movies, you know, like little, little, little jokes like the, like uh, shit happens or have a nice day origins in, uh, in Forrest Gump sure. or, or big things like the entire third act of uh, Welcome to Marwin, which right. um, completely derails what was a pretty interesting movie up until then for me. I know a lot of a lot of uh, people of our ilk still like Welcome to Marwin, but I, I, I left the theater very frustrated because it just happens time and time again with Robert Zemeckis. Anyway, this is not the this is not the episode, but um, yeah, Robert Zemeckis, he's he's a puzzle. For, me. for sure. But that your note about like the one eye towards an audience thing, I think does apply to movies like poor things and everything ever all at once. We're like, um, well, certainly I, everything ever all at once, I, but that's cause I don't like that. movie. It's easier to see for me. Sure. Have you seen poor things yet? No, I haven't. Okay. Well, that, I mean, without giving too much away, like, like I said, there is kind of like an emotional arc that is 
much more digestible than anything Yorgos Lanthimos has done before that kind of like opens up the weirdness of that movie to a wider audience and makes it more digestible. But yeah, like everything you're ever all at once is to me, like constantly keeping an eye on serving it, it's perceived audience in a way that I didn't really feel like the Daniels previous movies were, um, which I had like kind of off and on intermittent good and bad feelings about, but like they were definitely like going to the beat of their own drum with those ones. Um, because they made swiss army man together and then the death of dick long was just one of the daniels yeah i guess that's true i guess they only made the one prior film together um but But i like like both of those movies more so death of dick long but i like them both yeah same um but yeah i mean go with swiss army man if you want to look at the one together where that's like it ends up being about this like very uh socially maladjusted and kind of loathsome guy um Whereas everything everywhere ends up being about like the beauty of family and coming together and having greater understanding of what we all go through and all that kind of stuff. Um, So this is why I'm saying like, as much as sometimes it can seem like the Oscar movie changes, I think in some ways it just kind of changes the dress it's putting on it. You know, the, the thing underneath is it's really still kind of serving the same classic form and only really rarely diverting from that. Um, I mean, I, I, in that way, I think the only ones kind of in our, not quite our lifetime, kind of our movie going lives that have really um, cut and run from that have been like no country for old men and parasite mm-hmm. where it's like, no, there's just nothing out there. And like things are probably going to get worse and we're all just going to have to muddle through and do the best we can. Uh, yeah. Um, what, what else was nominated in 2017? Because Let's see. I remember, cause I talked about shape of water at the beginning of the episode. And I remember multiple people saying that save shape of water seemed like the obvious safe choice. And that really like highlighted to me how things had changed. Um, because she, I understand the shape of water is yeah. like a, a, a crowd pleasing romance. Um, but uh, the idea that that was an obvious choice, but I'm trying to remember what else was nominated in 2017. Well, so to go like you could go even more obvious and safe and say like darkest hour Dunkirk um, or the post would be like kind of your typical. Right. But what you was know, the thing people were saying should win over the obvious choice of shape of water um, among right. our crowd, probably phantom thread. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Which is you know a more incisive and challenging yeah. romance. Yeah, yeah. Um, certainly, yeah, I, I I liked it better, but I love Shape of Water. Yeah, I really like Shape of Water too. I, but it, I guess it kind of depends on which crowd you're after. Because yeah, I mean there were some who were really gunning for Dunkirk, and that was one that when it came out that summer, people figured that it was kind of destined for Best Picture. Um, I, I think there was a small but vocal call me by your name contingent um there was definitely a big get out contingent um and ladybird was also nominated and you know nobody we know is gunning for three billboards but obviously a lot of people really like that yeah um so i mean it's interesting slate of nominees but you can see how the shape of water kind of cuts through the middle there as um something a little bit more unusual in terms of subject but a little bit more digestible in terms of theme and the general emotional arc um speaking of emotional arc i the reason and this is the one time i was ever 
right about Oscar stuff. The reason I never thought Dunkirk was a best picture contender is because it doesn't have like a person the audience can pin themselves to. It's yeah. it, it it it's it's too sprawling and and um sometimes opaque in uh its portrait of the characters. Um I love Dunkirk as my favorite Christopher Nolan movie, but I never thought it was um going to resonate with the Oscar type of audience because of that that reason. Well, it definitely um, has a too many young white guys problem of like I can't keep track of who's who who's yeah. who here. Like I Tom Hardy's in the plane. That's you know, Mark Rylance is on the boat. Uh that's about all I got. Yeah. But yeah. But Tom Hardy spends most of the movie with his face covered, which is right. fine with me. Uh anyway. Um You hate seeing Chris or Tom Hardy's face. You are just like, <laughs> get it out of here. Uh no, I I like Tom Hardy, I think. Do I like Tom? Yeah, I like Tom Hardy. I like Tom Hardy. He's a big uh, weirdo. Yeah, he's an oddball. Uh yeah, and you haven't even. Unfortunately, you didn't get a chance to see the bike riders before it got kicked to. I like, know summer or whenever it's going to. I, I got to see it at AFI Fest, and uh, uh, yeah, I I look forward to uh, people debating whose Chicago accent is worse slash weirder, his or Jody Jody Comer's uh, in that movie, uh, but it's a lot of fun. I really like that movie. Yeah, I can't wait. Well, I'm was mad they got so, bumped. Yeah. So how? So okay, putting you on the spot. What do you think right now? If the Oscars happened today, what do you think would win Best Picture? Man, I mean, it's kind of looking like things are trending towards Killers of the Flower Moon, okay. um, which surprises me in a lot of ways. Um, both because you know Scorsese's kind of already. One, it's kind of rare for a director to go that long between wins. Um, you'll sometimes get like a couple wins very close together, mm-hmm. but um, for him to have nearly 20 years between his is unusual. And he's always kind of like stood somewhat outside of the industry. But I think like paradoxically, as much as like his constantly getting the press for shitting on superhero movies has like, turned legions of fans against him. I do think that there's so many people in the industry, like cheering him on for saying out loud, what they wish they could say. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just like his career doesn't in any way rely on their, anyone's anyone in that ecosystem's approval. And so he can just like let loose about it. And like, I've tweeted about this a few times before, but like, don't underestimate the degree to which Hollywood genuinely hates how big superhero movies are as a part function as the, like a driving force in the industry. Um, and like, by the same token, I think that could potentially hold Christopher Nolan back is like, I think there's a contingent, that same contingent of the industry that kind of resents that he opened that door of like, they didn't nominate the dark Knight, and the Oscar rules were changed to try to get movies like the dark Knight nominated. And it mostly hasn't worked because, um, district nine, but that's, yeah. Kind of but bit. like I, I, I don't see District Nine as in the same mold at all as The Dark Knight. Oh, um, really? Okay. I see District Nine as in kind of like the way that the Academy ended up taking that license of like, okay, you want us to nominate ten films? We're going to nominate the ten weird like independent movies that we just love. And District Nine. Well, I guess I think District Nine is a like. It might be a weird independent movie, but it's also a like 
fanboy uh fave uh genre movie that like the dark knight is like good but not great in my opinion yeah but i don't see the oscars as ever having a resistance to like that kind of movie i mean like as far as they're concerned likely a movie like juno or um capote um are kind of in or crash for that matter are kind of in the same realm of like it's an underdog we can cheer for Hmm. and like they're well-accomplished films that were made by you know impassioned people um and district nine even has like the social import angle of like it's about you know in a very clear and direct way um a genuine social ill um and kind of speaks to a wider social thing than just like being a fanboy thing whereas like i think the dark knight kind of felt like foisted on them and like the thing that they were expected to do and I, i think this is the biggest thing that people on the outside when they talk about like oscar bait miss is that like I don't think Oscar voters are as instructable as people tend to believe they are. Um, I really think they genuinely vote for the films that they love. And like, there are obviously campaigns that constantly are swaying films towards like being the thing that they will love through like campaigning and events and all that kind of stuff. But I, I don't think you can engineer something that's just like, that feels to them like a toy commercial and tell them that it's art, you know, and I guess that's ironic in the year of Barbie, but, um, <laughs> that's I, very I, ironic. Yeah. I, I just, but I think, you know, Barbie gets out ahead of itself by like undercutting it, its own premise of like making a lot of self-referential jokes about its very existence. Whereas the movie like the dark Knight is constantly asserting its own importance and telling you that this is worthy artistic cinema um, to use the parlance of Peter Griffin. It is, it insists upon itself. Is that, did, did that phrase really get coined with family guy? I have no idea, but um, okay. that's how I think of it. <laughs> no, I know that's the first time I ever heard it, but it seems like it's such a great <laughs> description of it's so perfect of certain movies um you know and people disagree about which movies which is the point of that scene but yeah yeah. he dislikes a movie that everyone loves but that's uh i don't know what is okay this was a uh a twitter prompt years ago what is your it insists upon itself movie that everyone loves um oh god i don't know if i have an all-timer like off the top of my head like a godfather kind of thing but it's definitely a phrase I whipped out many times when talking about tar last year. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, I really like tar, but that's the point of this. Cause mine from somewhat recent ilk the last five years or so is, uh, you were never really here. That was a movie that I found to be a hundred minute eye roller, uh, of a movie <laughs> that everyone liked. Sorry. You cut out a bit there. What was the movie? Oh, you were never really here. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, like any kind of macho, violent guy thing is yeah, always yeah. a little bit in that realm. Yeah. Um, so I think uh, we should probably have an eye towards wrapping yeah. up because obviously we're having some uh, connectivity issues. But I think uh, I, I feel weirdly, I don't know if this is a positive or a negative thing. But I feel like th- what I've come to, this whole thing started like, what is an Oscar movie anymore? 
And what I'm starting to realize is like the Oscar movie as we know it is actually probably fine and not really going anywhere. Um, looking at like you talked about looking at, at, at recent best, best picture when uh, by recent, I mean, our, my lifetime uh, best picture winners. I feel like more often than not, the movie could on paper be uh, an Oscar type movie, even if like you can point out uh, the things that are maybe weird about um, something like Moonlight or whatever, but um, it's still a coming of age story that deals with social issues, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, the artist, it might seem weird that a silent movie won best picture, but uh, uh, romance that celebrates Hollywood, you know, I mean, that's sure. Yeah. That's it. Uh, that's as Oscar as you get. Yeah. So I, I, I feel like maybe cause I was looking at like the movies that are coming out this year that are like sinking in terms of prognostication, Oscar prognostication. And I'm, I'm saying wither Nyad, but realizing like maybe that's just an outlier because not other people like Nyad, you know? Yeah. And um, there's always the Netflix of it all of like they pick their one movie that they're getting for, they end up getting the one movie that they didn't expect to be a thing. Um, and then that's kind of where they draw the line. Yeah. Um and then uh which reminds me, like this is years ago, I guess twenty fifteen, if I'm remembering correctly. I remember my mom asking me because she knows I pay attention to the Oscars and the award season. But I'm asking me, like, why isn't Unbroken more of a presence in the award season? It seems like it should be. And it's like, yeah, it does seem like it should be. But none of people liked it. Yeah. And, and that's, sometimes it's as simple as what you were saying. Like, just not enough people liked it. Yeah. And really that's like what I'm saying. Season. Like, you can't totally engineer this kind of stuff. Like, yeah. people do have to respond to the movies. Yeah. I know you like, well, you like By the Sea. How do you feel about Angelina Jolie as a director other than By the Sea? Oh, God, very mixed. I'm tr trying to remind myself of the movies she's done. Oh, yeah, I, I didn't seen... see. Uh, yeah, the only ones I've seen are Unbroken, which I didn't care much for. And then I saw First They Killed My Father, which I thought was really good for an hour, like the first half. But then it kind of felt like she went like, oh, shoot, I need to make this thing have a plot and be a traditional story. And then it kind of runs out of steam once it starts just like uh, trudging through the, the motions. Uh, but I still haven't seen By the Sea, so I got I to check that one out. Yeah, By the Sea is the only really great one. Um, I, I, I didn't see In the Land of Blood and Honey, um, which, yeah, was her first narrative feature of things. Now she made a documentary that I never even heard of. <laughs> um, but... Um, yeah, Unbroken, not good. Uh, first thing, my father, I, I think I liked it more than you did, just based on your quick recap there. Um, remember, like, having some great suspense sequences and um, just generally being a pretty solid yarn as far as that sort of thing goes. But By the Sea also, like, stands so far apart from her other films in many ways. Yeah. And it's just the kind of thing that I wish... I wish more people would make, you know, incisive portraits of crumpling marriages in general but like which yeah using um, their own crumpling marriage well yeah i mean you know <laughs> as we learned soon thereafter she had plenty of direct insight too yeah, yeah but um yeah that i i i'm always mournful that that film didn't really catch on the way i think it could have um 
to end things on a note that has nothing to do with the topic. Perfect. Uh, I think I'll have to check and see. I think Tyler's review of in the land of blood and honey still holds the records record for most comments on an article at battleship com <laughs> because it devolved into like a proxy argument about the subject matter, the Bosnian Serbian, like it, it stopped being about the movie Perfect. almost immediately and just became like a 200 comment <laughs> like <laughs> argument, uh, that we just sort of sat back and watched happened, watched happen. Uh, all right. Anything else on this topic? No, I think we uh, conquered it. I think this was a fun episode. Um, yeah, yeah. You can uh, you can find reviews of some Oscar movies, mostly from Scott, because I just am too busy to review movies anymore. Apparently, uh, at battleshipretention dot com, you can uh, uh, email me and Tyler at Tyler at battleshipretention dot com or David at battleshipretention dot com. Uh, my other podcast is about TV. It's called the one where I the one where I met your mother. I do that with my wife um who's cooler than i am um uh, uh, uh we had a listen we had a, a comment once i haven't told i haven't shared this with tyler because i don't know if he would like it or not okay but someone commented on, uh, on my twitter or maybe on an episode of when we're your mother um and and they said it's funny how on Battleship Pretension you're the hip one, and on the one where I met your mother you're the square one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I think that that probably holds true. Um, anyway, so uh, also I'm on the uh, Letterbox at David Bax, Twitter and Blue Sky at at uh, Davy Pretension. Uh, Scott, where can people find you? Yeah, Twitter and Blue Sky at Rail of Tomorrow. Um, Letterbox, just Scott and I. And yeah, got quite a few reviews up at Battleship Pretension, did two films this week and got a couple others coming down the pike, as they say. Um, I put a, a little extra effort and research into my zone of interest review, which um, I'm one of a slightly growing but still pretty minor chorus of negative reviews. Um, at least you have Richard Brody on my side. Yeah, they'll yeah take no, the I I uh, I liked your review, even though I disagree. I'm um, I'm I'm definitely uh, uh, really. I don't know. It feels weird to say I'm a fan of that movie. Um, you love Nazis. I, uh, yeah, we no, know I may no, I may never watch it again, but um, uh, yeah, I definitely think it deserves the praise it's getting. But I liked your your uh, point of view on why it maybe doesn't. It led me down the unexpected path of reading at least part of an autobiography of a Nazi, um, which I, it's not something I expected to do anytime soon, but um, made for very fascinating reading. Um, So yeah, uh, all that at Battleship Pretension, and I think that's it. All right. Well, thank you for listening. And we'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.